Hiring the wrong executive costs you time and money. Leveraging work psychology, Spear Consulting helps you hire the right executive so you can focus on growing your business. For a free quote, visit spiritmco.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Tips for Team Building podcast, where our mission is to inspire and propel others along on their leadership journeys. So excited to host our guest today, Liz Dunlap. Liz, thank you so much for taking the time. For those who don't know you, we always like to uh, throw a softball to start. So who who are you? Yeah, thank you, Jaden, for asking. So um, I'll, I'll start out personally. I'm a, a wife and a sister and a daughter. Uh, my husband and I decided uh, years ago in lieu of children, we were going to have fur babies. So we <laughs> currently have two black labs and we've had dogs throughout our, our married life. Um, we both love to travel. Our goal is to try and hit one uh, U.S. national park a year and take one international trip a year. So uh, we love traveling and learning about different cultures. And uh, I would say the other love is food. I've become quite a foodie. I think it might have been from my time in New York, where we lived for uh, about 10 years, uh, but exploring new restaurants and uh, uh, different culinary delights is, is something I really enjoy. Awesome. And there's certainly so much to eat and see in New York City. But uh, want to, you know, just kind of go back to the travel, the travel piece. I'm, you know, personally a an avid uh fan of travel. I wouldn't say an avid traveler yet. Uh, I still have a lot, you know, on the bucket list to hit, but you, you, you talked about one national park a year and, you know, one international trip. So what is your favorite national park to go to? And then what has been your favorite international trip so far? Yeah, great questions. I, I think, you know, it's tough internationally. I've had some pretty awesome trips, but if I had to pick one, we did uh, a South African trip a couple of years ago and had a chance to do the um, safari experience and see Cape Town and Johannesburg, as well as the uh, falls in Zimbabwe. And I would say that was a pretty amazing experience not to be, not to be missed. And as far as national parks, there have been so many wonderful parks I guess I would say Zion, really, really beautiful country, um, great hikes, charming little town that it sits in. Um, but I'll tell you, that's a hard one because we have some really spectacular national parks here in the U.S. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's always I, you know, I always ask that question, but I hate when people ask me that question <laughs> because I'm like, I take so much like. I take away so much value and um, so much appreciation from every, every trip that I take, you know, whether it's to one of the coasts, whether it's internationally or whether I, you know, drive to Ohio for a weekend, like there's always like, you know, just an appreciation that you can take from travel. So appreciate you, you know, sharing some of the experiences that you've had. Yeah. So, uh, so we got to hear a little bit about you, Liz, as you know, from the personal side, um, when thinking professionally, can you kind of, you know, just share with the audience your, your leadership journey and some of the professional experiences and opportunities that you've, you've had? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'll start with, 
you know, my, my degree was in psychology, not sure that I ever planned on practicing professionally, but I thought, boy, it was a great uh, degree to have to help understand human behavior and took a lot of um, sociology. And at the time they were called industrial organizational psych classes and, and thought about what I wanted to do and how I wanted to leverage that degree and ended up with, um, an interest in human resources, of course, at the time when I graduated, it was still called personnel in the days. Uh, and I've, I've been really fortunate, Jaden, to be able to work for a number of very, very different industries throughout my career. So I started in retail, I moved into consumer packaged goods, uh, I've done uh, restaurants and hospitality, luxury goods, uh, and then ended my career in healthcare. And each one has brought something unique and different uh, to the HR experience that I've had. I love it. I love it. And I think that that's such a, you know, you and I have kind of talked in previous conversations, Liz, about like how just the ability to maneuver around industries. Too many times you see where like organizations, like let's say they're in healthcare, they're in, you know, restaurant hospitality. They're looking for the candidate who has that experience, you know, transfer what they say transferable or, you know, very similar industry experience. And, you know, just a, a good testament to show that those skills are transferable and it just adds like a unique perspective versus like an individual who may be, you know, while there's nothing wrong with it, an individual who may have stuck to one industry and grown mm-hmm. in that industry. Right. So mm-hmm. I think that that's, that's incredible. And, uh, you know, selling, selling yourself short a little bit, you know, in terms of scope of work, working as the chief HR officer at IU Health, where you wrapped up your career, overseeing HR for, you know, 18 hospitals, over 3000 beds and 30,000 employees. That's, that's a big feat. So, uh, (laughs) you know, brought a lot of uh, value to the table in in that way. So kudos to you, Liz. Thank you. So, you know, I'd love to hear your approach and kind of your philosophy on how, how do you, especially, you know, sometimes being that outsider, you know, out of industry, um, how do you build relationships as a leader, both, you know, across the organization, but then also with the teams that, that you support and lead? Mm -hmm. Good question. You know, and, and there may be a little bit different spin on this since we're in kind of post COVID times. And I know um, work, styles and habits have changed over the last couple of years. But what I found particularly helpful was, you know, face-to-face interaction and building those relationships. There's no substitute for putting in the time uh, and getting to know people, asking lots of questions, seeking to understand where they're coming from uh, and, and how you can help support them in their needs in the organization. And I think it's, it's really helpful to build a relationship um, around that mutual appreciation for where you're each coming from and what you can bring to the table. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, so many times you just like, like just... just showing you care. I think, you know, all that wrapped into, you know, a very simple, um, you know, very simple uh, motto there is just show that you care and show that you, you care about, 
them as a, as a person, as a professional. Um, and, and that just goes such a long way. So, you know, that, that, that sounds easy and it's you know, certainly not, not always, you know, easy. So Liz, could you, could you share with us, you know, a time where you've struggled to build a relationship with a key stakeholder? Maybe oh, they weren't, they weren't yeah. open to that. Right. And how, yeah. how, how were you able to combat that and overcome that? Yeah, I have a couple of examples I can share with you. The first one was when I went to work for Panera Bread, um, my position was located in St. Louis, which is where Panera is headquartered. But they also had another uh, key office in the Boston area, and they had a large number of people that worked from home just because of the nature of the business, right? People were out in the field and supporting the restaurants across the U.S., so when I arrived in St. Louis, it was myself and only one other executive that were working out of that office. And so it was a struggle for me to build relationships with people who were working in the field and working out of that Boston office. Because what I found was when we did come together, um, typically around meetings, and we had a regular cadence or schedule of those meetings, your days were packed from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. with meetings and um, other things that were going on. And it left very little time just to get to know one another personally. Um, so um, short of getting out in the field and spending time with people uh, or, or making time to connect with them on a personal basis or a non-agenda-driven basis, it was a challenge and I think took longer to build the relationship, uh, relationships with the executive team in that organization. They, they had been a team that had been together for quite a while. I was one of the newer entrants, if you will, onto that team. And then because of the geographic, um, I'll call it isolation, it was even another challenge. Um, another example that I can give you is, you know, People have had different experiences working with human resources and people have different perceptions of what the function's all about and what it should be doing and should not be doing. And there are some people who just don't understand um, how HR can truly be a proactive business partner to help them succeed. And so it takes a lot more effort and energy to form those relationships and build that trust, if you will, that you're there to help support them and make them and their organizations successful. You're not there to catch them doing something wrong or, or um, to only be there if there's some kind of a crisis going on. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I always use the, uh, you know, kind of the comparison of Liz, I don't know if you've watched The Office, but Toby from The Office is kind of that like stereotypical, like old school, um, you know, like viewpoint of what HR is. And mm -hmm. I think the organizations and the leaders who who recognize and leverage, you know, their HR business partners are those organizations that are thriving. Yeah. Um, so definitely some value that can be can be added there. So I want to go back to, um, you know, with working for Panera and how that was difficult kind of building those relationships, because I think that that's something that we're just going to see, you know, see so much more of is like a geographical disbursement um, with many employees working, you know, working remotely. 
Um, you know, I, and, you know, my line of work, many clients being in many different states, um, et cetera. Um, so want to kind of hear how you were able to, how you were able to overcome that and what type of like advice you might give to, to individuals who might be working on opposite coasts of their colleagues, um, mm-hmm. to still be able to build those, those trusting, um, and meaningful relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so a couple of thoughts. I think one, from a team perspective, I think it's important in some meetings to carve out time that's not business focused, but it might be fun, right? To help lighten the mood, to share personally. We, you know, for example, you and I just talked about what we did on the holiday weekend. So maybe you take 10 minutes out of the week, out of the meeting, and everybody shares something personal about what they did over the weekend or are going to do over the weekend. I think you learn a lot about people and there's so much going on in lives, right? Kids are still getting married and, you know, graduating from high school and going off to college or whatever those milestones may be. It's important to know and to be able to share that and follow up with people on that. So I know that that was something that worked effectively was to literally take time and say, okay, we're going to spend the next 10 minutes either sharing or even something as fun as since we've all gotten into watching, whether it's Netflix or Amazon or some other provider, we would share our favorite new series or our favorite new movie that we watched. Um, And I think people really looked forward to that. So it's, it's carving out the time. And the other thing is just picking up the phone or staying on a few extra minutes when you are one-on-one with somebody to have that conversation. So replace the water cooler talk that went on in the office with something that you can do um, remotely um, to be able to maintain that connection. Because it's easy for all of us to fall into the trap of dialing in at the top of the hour and you know, logging off at one minute till <laughs> so that you can get on to your next meeting. And, and how do you make the time to continue building and establishing those personal connections? Have you been feeling unfulfilled? You want to be happy, but just continue to struggle. One of the best ways to experience joy is by caring for the homeless. A charity I've grown to love, River of Light, food rescues a million meals per year for the needy in Chicago. Imagine how that make you feel, knowing that you're helping feed children and veterans. To make a tax-deductible donation, visit riverlightchicago.org. Again, riverlightchicago.org. No one should go to bed hungry. I love that. Um, I think that that's so important. One of the one of the books that our leadership team here at Spirit Consulting read was a book called Traction, and it's uh, by Gino Wickman, I believe. Um, but it's an entrepreneurial operating uh, system that's meant for meant for small businesses, and they call that section in you know your weekly cadence of meetings. Um, they call it the segue, and that's really sharing you know carving out time to share share business news. What's your best business news for the week? What's your best personal news for the week? What's new in your life? Um, and just having that opportunity, and we have we have seen so much value in that. So can really echo kind of that sentiment of what, of what you shared there, Liz. Yeah. Great. 
So, um, so kind of pivoting a little bit from, from relationships into, um, more of kind of the, the team building and team building really starts at the front end of the recruiting process, the hiring process and the onboarding process. Um, and, and Liz, I'm sure you've had times where, you know, in your career, you've, uh, you've interviewed someone and just fell in love with them and you were sold. They were the, they were the right person. They were the best person. Uh, but maybe some others who interviewed with them, uh, other stakeholders weren't, weren't as sold. Um, so would love to hear, um, uh, you know, if you, if you have had an, uh, you know, a situation like that, um, how you were able to, to work around and address that discrepancy, um, on, on said candidate and kind of like what the, what the end result of that was. Yeah, I have had that situation several times and I, uh, and I'll tell you how I dealt with it and what the outcomes were. I think one, the, the, who the stakeholders are that are expressing concerns is important. So my first example is I remember when I was at Godiva and I was hiring a compensation analyst and I had two final candidates and I had them interview with my team. So my direct reports, because that's who they'd be supporting. And they had some strong opinions about both were qualified, but they had some strong opinions about one being a better cultural fit than another, which was the opposite of where I had landed. And I think you can do two things in that situation. I think you can always seek to understand why are they coming down where they are and why are they holding the points of view that they are. Um, because they may be able to share things with you that you are not aware of that came out in their interview that you didn't have the opportunity um, of hearing. Um, and then and then weighing what are the implications if you go with your first choice that, that you want in that position versus their first choice. Um, because I had a situation at IU Health where, again, I had two candidates. I had one that was a favored, they were in the number one slot, but I, I also was comfortable with the number two. And the number one was not accepted on a wholesale um, basis by the, the, I would call them peers that would be uh, working with this individual, uh, peers of mine that would be working with this individual. And at the end of the day, after seeking to understand and debriefing with them and trying to understand what their concerns were, I knew if I did not respect their uh, point of view and went ahead and hired this person, I would not be setting them up for success in the organization because the feelings were so strong against this candidate. So at that point, I went with the other candidate. So I, I think you have to weigh, you know, who are the constituents giving you the feedback? Why and what feedback are they giving you? And then what would be the consequences of not uh, listening to their input and advice and, and going in a different direction. Yeah, I think that that's helpful. Obviously, if it's someone who, who works directly with this person or alongside of them, like that person holds a little more weight than someone who might be indirectly working with this person or just, you know, another, another voice at the table. Yeah. Um, so when thinking about, you know, your preferred uh, profile and, and uh, for a candidate, and obviously this probably differs, you know, from 
you know, each position, you know, has different specifications or just different like situations in which like the role was vacated or it's been opened, etc. But, you know, philosophically, Liz, do you typically opt for the been there, done that, you know, type candidate, as I like to call it, or the up and comer who might show higher potential um, and, and, and why? Yeah. I, I think you you nailed it in in your preamble. I think it really is situationally based. What are the needs of the team, the department, the organization where the opening exists? Um, you know, there have been some very interesting studies done that if you need somebody to come in and make change, you're probably better hiring somebody from the outside. Um, because if you've got somebody internally that you move into that position, because they're a known quantity and people have certain expectations, rightfully or not, they're probably going to have a harder time making wholesale or radical change in an organization than if you brought somebody in from the outside. And I, and I think the same holds true for your question, which is, is it better to have tried and true somebody who's got deep experience in that particular area or somebody who's potentially... Um, a high potential, but maybe doesn't have the same depth. Um, I can tell you when I look to hire, there's some very specific things that I look for personally. And I'd put those first and foremost in front of experience, which is, you know, I'm, I'm looking for somebody um, who will come in and be collaborative, number one. It's really important to me to have a team that works well together. Two, I want somebody who's very comfortable voicing their opinion and pushing back. I may have an idea or a point of view or something I want to do, but I need somebody to raise their hand and say, hey, Liz, have you thought about this? Or if you do that, here's what I'm, you know, I'm concerned may happen. Um, you know, the proverbial, don't let me step off the cliff. Let me know if there's something going on. I also look for somebody who's going to try and make it even better than I had uh, imagined or, or laid out for that person. So what kind of top spin uh, can they bring to a particular um, initiative or, or effort? Um, and so, you know, I think those are, to me personally, that's what's really important in terms of my success criteria over whether or not they've had experience in that area. But I'll tell you, and, and you can talk to people that um, have worked for me, I've hired people from completely different functions in an organization to come into human resources um, or promoted somebody into a role with new breadth and depth of, ex of um, responsibility that they may not necessarily have the experience for, but I think they have the potential to learn. Um, and then I've hired people who have really, really deep expertise and knowledge in an area who've come in and really been able to, to drive a, a team or a function to new levels. So, you know, it all just kind of depends. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that, that that certainly makes sense. So when you're when you're thinking of, you know, someone who's who's comfortable pushing back. Um, obviously that, that's an important skill. I always, you know, I always push my team, you know, to, to coach up, you know, I think that's such an important skill to have and to be able to voice those concerns, but how do you, what's your approach to, to gauging that, you know, during an interview process or during the hiring process to say like, Hey, this person would be someone who, who's comfortable, you know, speaking up 
sharing their thoughts and avoiding, you know, helping me avoid walking off that cliff? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And, you know, my, my mantra is the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. So I would probably get at that by asking a question and giving me an example of when you've had to deliver difficult feedback to somebody and what was the situation and how did you do it? Um, and, and really listen to, was it a peer? Was it somebody above them? You know, who was it that they were, that they were coaching? So, so now, Liz, that we, we have these candidates in the door, we kind of talk through recruiting and, and hiring. And so now we have them in the door. How, how do we keep them? What do you consider to be, you know, the most important uh, thing, singular or most important, you know, set of things um, to be able to retain staff? So let me start with um, onboarding and then I'll, then I'll give you some other thoughts. I, I typically say to my team when they arrive, look, you don't need to prove anything to me. Um, you don't need to put any points on the board in the next 60 days. I know you're great. That's why I hired you. Your job is to really learn about this organization and the team. So go out, meet people, ask questions, um, learn about what the challenges are and where you can add value. So I hope by doing that, one, it takes a lot of pressure off them to feel like they've got to do something in the first uh, eight weeks that they're on the job, but also giving them the space and the opportunity to really go out and um, listen and learn. Because, you, you know, once you get enmeshed into the operations day to day, you just don't have the luxury or the time of doing that. Um, so I think that's really important because you can come into an organization with vast experience and um, skill sets and knowledge, but if you don't know the context in which to apply it in that current environment or culture, you're not going to be successful. And as I think back about people who have not been successful in an organization, typically within their first year, it's not because they didn't have the skills and experience, it's because they didn't know how to apply it in the context of that, uh, that situation. So I, I think that's really important to make sure people have the chance to, to learn and understand and, and get that grounding. And I think, you know, moving forward, it's just making sure that you seek to find out how they're doing. You know, is there anything I can do to better support you? How's your onboarding going? Um, you know, do you understand what it is that people expect of you? Are you having any issues or problems? I think those checkpoints and, and making sure that their needs are being met is really, really important. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's so, it's so easy for like, just kind of thinking through like leaders and, and maybe personal situations that I've had, which, you know, have been more kind of focused in like maybe retail or like the restaurant or something like that. But I think that like you, you see too often where someone gets the job, we hire them, and then we really struggle to set them up for success because it's, hey, sorry, you're onboarding, like this happened, something derailed, I just got pulled into this important meeting, I have to handle it. <laughs> you yeah, know, like we, we, we drop them in the deep end of the pool, so to speak. Yep, and yep. say, hey, it's time to sink or swim. And, uh, you know, not, I, I just love what, what you, what you shared is that like, you know, in those 
in those what might be coined like hiring mistakes where people don't work out in the first year, just being able to look back and reflect on that because it's not that they didn't have the skill set, but maybe, maybe part of that's on them of not adapting to how to uh, apply that skill set, you know, in that environment, but just like the, the ability to look in the mirror as well and say, okay, but where did we drop the ball and where could we have done something better to ensure that, that we didn't, ended the situation that we're, you know, we're now in trying to fill the position again, you know, a year, a year later after all that time invested. Yeah, exactly. So when kind of thinking about, you know, those, those skill sets we, we talked about, like maybe they have the skill set and maybe they're just not applying it in the right way, or maybe they're not in the right role to be able to apply it or thinking about, you know, some of the individuals who you talked about, who you poached from other functions to move them into HR or move them into an area where maybe they didn't have, you know, the expertise. Liz, how do you how do you differentiate, you know, whether a team member needs additional support in the role that they're in, whether that team member is just in the wrong seat on the bus or whether they simply just aren't a fit and need to be removed from the bus? Yeah. And I really think that's one of the most important responsibilities of a hiring manager and a, a leader is to make that determination. Um Because at the end of the day, we all have strengths and weaknesses. Trust me, I'm really good at some things and I'm not so good at other (laughs) things. And so as a leader, you've got to figure that out. What are you really good at and how am I going to leverage it? And how am I going to support you in the things that you're not so good at? Or maybe they're things you just don't enjoy doing, right? A lot of times those go hand in hand. Um, because trying to fix somebody and, and get them to do things they're not good at or don't enjoy is probably not a good return on your energy and investment in them. I think being able to figure out how to leverage their strengths and um, minimize the things that they aren't great at and prop them up and support them in those areas is a better use of, of energy and time. Um, but ultimately, you have to make those calls. And, and you know, I remember we hired a Uh, a gentleman to come in and run our communications team and um, had great expectations, um, had the requisite background and experience and the desire, just wasn't able to fit into our uh, culture. And I think in this particular case, it was a matter of, it was, you know, a single incumbent role. So as I call it, he was an inch deep and a mile wide. He had a lot of <laughs> things he had to do and manage and keep on top of and just wasn't really good at multitasking and prioritizing. Um, and and so at the end of the day, that was our fault. We, we put somebody in the role who really just wasn't able to um, manage against the expectations. Um, and so I think a lot of times organizations, and you said it earlier, don't take responsibility for <laughs> making those, those, you know, hiring decisions that may not be in everybody's best interest. And it happens. Nobody, nobody is going to have a hundred percent, uh, success rate. Uh, and so you've got to figure out, can I make it work? Can I move them into a different role or do they need to leave the organization? Yeah. And I think that 
you know, I, I, I mentioned it, you mentioned it again. I think it's just like an element of like, as that, like, as that manager, um, you know, recognizing that you're not going to hit a hundred percent. Cause I think it's so like you, you, if you are a relationship driven leader, you've built relationships with this person. That's a difficult conversation to have. Right. But recognizing that, you know, by trying to sometimes like if you try too long to string something along to try and make it work, you know, you're ultimately leaving yourself, the rest of your team, and probably that individual in a worse spot than if you would have, you know, addressed the situation promptly. I but, absolutely agree. <laughs> but, you know, too often the emotions, you know, the emotional, uh, you know, part of our brain takes over that logical, you know, that logical way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Well, and nobody likes having those difficult conversations, right? Sometimes there are some really hard truths that have to be spoken. Um, and I'll tell you, my experience has been that when you finally uh, get the courage to have that direct conversation uh, and, and things move to a finality, which might be leaving the organization, the common response I would get from people is what took you so long, right? It, it, you know, you have to recognize other people see it as well. You're not the only one and they're waiting to see how you're going to deal with it. Uh, and so I think so long as you're fair and you're respectful, uh, people will give you the benefit of the doubt and appreciate that you had to make a tough call. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just think back to some of the advice that one of my leaders, you know, gave me one time, you know, in, in terms of kind of growing as a leader, having those difficult conversations, whether it be just regular performance management or whether it be, you know, the determination is just being able to frame it and present it in a way that that it's coming from the heart and showing that you care of like even if this isn't the outcome that both of us hope for um even though this isn't the conversation that that we're wanting to have we're having this conversation because i care about you and i want you to learn and grow from it yeah and i think that that that's something that is you know stuck with me um in terms of like you know, just having those conversations, we, we still get the butterflies in our stomach and, you know, like just feeling like, you know, nervous uh, around those conversations, but just thinking about like that piece of it, I think is, is, is so important. So I think that that leads into the last question I'd like to ask Liz is, you know, you, you've had, you know, I'm sure plenty of those, those types of conversations. Can you tell me, can you tell us maybe about a time that, that you you botched a conversation like that um, and how you were, you know, able to kind of like bounce back and what you learned from that, that then, you know, impacted future conversations that, that you had to have. Yeah. And I, and I think honestly that giving difficult news or constructive feedback is a skill that you're continually refining and getting better at. It never gets easy. Um, You just learn how to prepare for it better. And so I think earlier in my career, it was easier to either dance around it or not be direct uh, or or, um, try and sugarcoat 
um, what you were trying to say. And at the end, it just wasn't fair to the individual. And I think, you know, it's important for leaders, you know, so a couple of things that I think are important. I think you have to understand, is it a what or a how issue, right? Um, is it what they're doing, the outcomes that you have an issue with, or is it the process to get to those outcomes, right? Their style, their approach, their methodology, their personalities, whatever it is. So, so isolate what it is um, that's causing the friction. Um, and then really think through what you want to say to this person and how you want to say it. And I think um, rehearsing it in your mind, you know, how am I going to say this? How am I going to frame it up? Even typing up some talking points. This is how I want to set it up. This is how I want to show the examples. Here's how I want to talk about the impact of the organization and then get their perspective on it. Um, one thing that, that I've done and the way that I've handled uh, performance reviews or discussions for my direct reports is starting out with accomplishments, right? So you can celebrate what happened throughout the year. Then talking about misses or missed opportunities or things you would have liked to have seen differently. It doesn't matter what the label is, but, you know, what were the things that you saw? Um, what would you like to see going into next year, right? That's, that's different. And then you talk about the goals. And so if you have that as a set part of your conversation, um, and we would have those conversations several times a year, right? Setting goals at the beginning of the year and talking about prior year performance, checking points throughout the year, it just becomes a normal part of the meeting. So it's not awkward or uncomfortable or unusual. And I would type them up and send them to the person ahead of time and say, here's what we're going to talk about on Tuesday. So you, you try and normalize it as much as possible. But there, there are always things that people can do better or differently, or maybe an outcome that you, you missed on that you were hoping would have been delivered differently. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that approach. Because I think that that too often, like with a performance appraisal or that sort of um, constructive conversation, it's like a surprise. And then, you know, with that, then you have emotions, right? Mm -hmm. But if you have time for the individual to, you know, read through that, try to understand that and kind of decompress themselves to then be able to walk into that meeting, that just makes such a more productive meeting and having that conversation that needs to be had. So appreciate you sharing that, Liz. Mm -hmm. So um, if, you know, if someone in the audience today, Liz, is, is inspired by what you've, you've shared or would like to connect and be able to, to rack your brain for, for more kind of approaches and your philosophies and, or, or learn more about your leadership journey or your, your favorite travel destinations, <laughs> how, can, uh, how can people reach out to you? Well, they're welcome to email me, and uh, my email is lizdunlap23 at icloud.com, and I would be happy to uh, connect. Awesome, awesome. And we will include that in our show notes as well so that it's easily accessible. Liz, just want to say thank you so much for being a guest on today's episode of the Tips for Team Building podcast, where our mission is to inspire and propel others along in their leadership journeys. Really enjoyed the opportunity to connect with you. Um, look forward to how, how your wisdom uh, just inspires others um, and look forward to continuing the dialogue. Thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. 
Thanks for tuning in to the Tips for Team Building podcast, where we propel others along in their leadership journeys. If you enjoyed the show, would you please subscribe and leave a review wherever you listened? You can also visit www.spiritmco.com to find out more about how Spirit Consulting inspires virtuous leadership. We'll see you next time.